Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the premiere edition of Hook and Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. And my good buddy, Chris Landry, I've had the opportunity to work with. Uh, I'm not going to say how long because it makes us both look really, really <laughs> old. But I think we're pushing a decade, uh, Chris. And uh, if you haven't checked out LandryFootball.com, you need to do so. So we're going to be with you uh, each and every week. Every Monday, we will post this podcast. And we've done an SEC podcast in the past, and we're going to talk a lot of SEC. But we'll definitely throw some NFL in there, just whatever uh, really fits our fancy for that particular weekend. But it was just so fantastic. Uh, getting a, a pretty full weekend of football. I know the Big Ten's not out there and, you know, Pac-12. But you know, for, for the most part, it was uh, uh, plenty to fill my palate, and uh, I just thought it was a great weekend. You know, it was. Uh, started with, um, you know, um, the, the the Thursday night game, Miami, kind of struggling a little bit, but getting it done. Uh, then Then Saturday – you just never know what you're going to get, and certainly this year. But, man, my goodness, the story was the Big 12 and how they struggled. I mean, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, folks out at Lafayette had a tough, you know, they weren't hit the hardest by the storm like Charles, Louisiana was, but they were hit a little bit. And then D.J. Looney, their 31-year offensive line coach, died in training camp practice a few weeks ago. So they've had a tough, you know, getting ready for the season in addition to all the COVID stuff, they go into Ames, Iowa, Dave, and just really hammer an Iowa State team that has got a lot of expectations this year, maybe as talented a quarterback in the Big 12 returning. Now, Spencer Rattler's really talented more. I mean, him in a little bit. But he, you know, um, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, good, good talent. Uh, the outstanding tight end didn't play, but – that was a big loss. And then, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, a, a tough situation where Kansas, not a lot expected of Kansas, but Dave, they've beaten by Coastal Carolina at the beginning of the year, two years in a row now. So that was really ugly uh, to see that happen. Arkansas State, a good Arkansas State team. And by the way, Blake Anderson of Arkansas State is fast track guy, going to get a big time job. They beat Kansas State. I mean, my goodness, and then Texas Tech, late Saturday night, Dave. Uh, when I tell you escapes should have been beaten by Houston Baptist, 
what a what a bad looking look for the Big Twelve to start the season. Texas was very impressive against UTEP. Um, you had uh, Oklahoma dominant against Missouri State. Bobby Petrino's Missouri State team. But um, and then we ha- we haven't seen Oklahoma State play yet, and I think they'll be really good. But it didn't look good for the rest of the Big Twelve. That jumped out at me. And then the other thing that really jumped out at me was Jeff Collins had his team ready to play. Georgia Tech goes to Tallahassee, two years in a row, two different coaches, of course. Florida State loses their opening game at home to a freshman quarterback. And in this case, if this doesn't pour salt into the wounds. <laughs> Is a kid that they turned down that is starting at Georgia Tech that beat them. So uh, that was some of the, you know, there's some other North Carolina, pretty good team. Syracuse is under man. Clemson looked really good. Uh, just an appetizer as we try to wait and see is a Big Ten going to play or not going to play? The SEC is another week away before. But I thought it was an interesting week on, on Saturday, Dave. No, Notre Dame wasn't all that impressive protecting Ian Book. Struggled more with Duke than they should have, but you know I still think they've got to they've got to find some weapons in the passing game. But all in all, I thought an interesting Saturday at least so on the college side. I know we'll get to the NFL in a little bit. Well, I mean, uh, you had the Big Ten on college game day um, with the coaches that are championing the cause to play. Um, I, I, listen, I understand. Uh, where you're coming from, uh, Big Ten coaches that want to play. I I understand uh, all of that, and it doesn't make any sense to me uh, that uh, I think you pointed this out last week when we were visiting about the the podcast. You got Ohio State who can't play, but there's high school football. Uh, There's the Browns in Ohio. There's the Bengals in Ohio, and they're all playing. So Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati playing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's I think there's a real argument to be had. Um, you know, I just wonder if this is turning into a little bit of a, a power struggle between the face of an athletic department, which in most cases, except for maybe the ACC, is the football coach and the presidents who are worried about the liability of these guys playing. So. Yeah, I just I don't know that they're going to come together on this, but I think October 10th, maybe the 17th is probably the deadline, wouldn't you? Well, I think they're they're pushing it. I don't think it's doable right now on the 17th. I mean, if they get it done here this week, I, I think we're looking at the last week of October at the earliest. You just don't snap your fingers and get it gone. I, I think they're running quickly out of time. My sense on this is, Dave, is – and I've said this, this is very political. This decision is being made above the presidents of the universities. Now, you've got the Michigan president, who is a infectious disease, uh, has epidemiology background, and he's leading this whole thing, this not safe. And you've got, obviously, a governor in Michigan. So you've got two states, Michigan and Michigan State, that's kind of, you know, it's not the the administrators at the school and really not except for the Michigan president, not really the presidents. You've got most presidents that want to play that see that there's a way what's happening to the big 10 is they're getting embarrassed. They've got egg on their face because they're seeing other leagues now. And I know it's just one week, really one and a half, two weeks, but they're it's working. They're able to play. 
And so I think they're having to revisit and say, look, is there a way we can do it? I think in the end, they're probably going to, we looked at it and this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. I think it's just to appease their fan base that's hopping mad, to appease the people on their campus, students, coaches, athletic administrators that are hopping mad about not being able to play. And Dave, they're getting angry by the minute, by the week, every week that the ACC, SEC, and the Big 12 and Conference USA and Sunbelt at all play. They look like buffoons, not because they said we can't play. If their medical experts say it is not safe, speak up and enlighten everybody. Maybe none of us should be playing. But the reality is it's political in that they, they it is not that they decided not to play. Dave, it's that when they decided, you know, it doesn't make more sense to say, look, what does everybody say in this epidemiology world? Let's wait. Every day you wait, every hour you wait, the more data, the more information you have. Well, that's why the SEC, ACC, Big 12 made the right decisions, not by playing or not playing, but by waiting it out. And so I think by waiting it out, you get more information. That's what the Big Ten should have done. Why didn't they? They didn't, A, because it's very political. They're trying to make a stance. There's an election in November. Let's not kid ourselves and think that it doesn't have a lot of impact there. Two, there's a lot of the Big Ten upper echelon that just thinks they're smarter than everybody else. Well, we're going to announce first. This is what we're going to do, and everyone's going to follow us. Well, the little sister did the Pac-12, but everybody else said, bleep you. And now that it's going to work, or it is working, it just makes the Big Ten look bad. But I I, I just believe this is very, very political. Dave, if it's... We had the president call. Listen, that's political too. The president wants to get the Big Ten to flip. Why? You got swing states in the Big Ten, and he'd love to be able to say, I got your football back. They love that. And then those same <laughs> people politically don't want to do anything that's going to help the president out because they're far left. Let's not kid ourselves, folks. I mean, I may have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. I mean, we know how this stuff works. So. Look, I, I think there's if there's legitimate reasons for safety reasons that we can't play, then we, we shouldn't play, and, and that should be decided. But to decide it that quick when you don't know says something. Uh, to not take it for as long as they needed to says something, and it says it kind of stinks. And it's embarrassing right now. Boy, is it embarrassing. And let this season go off. And it's going to be more embarrassing. And you're telling me that it makes sense to play Thanksgiving weekend or in January? Is it going to be better then from a medical standpoint? Worse? You're not playing in the spring. They're not. They're just dangling that carrot for their fan base. Yeah, we'll play a Rose Bowl in March. No, you're not. That's not going to happen because that would ruin next season for the Big Ten. So, look, I I, I, I feel bad for – all of my friends that are in coaching and in administration of the Big Ten, uh, because I think that they're they're really really upset. They really want to play. Players are affected. Coaches are affected. A lot of people are affected. 
yet, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think they are running out of time, Dave, to, to be able to be a part of this season where they can be in the playoffs. They're running out of time quickly. I mean, it's really seeping through. Well, and it's just going to get amped up too when uh, the SEC rolls out there. And, you know, there's always the competition between uh, which conference is better. I mean, that's been going on for, what, 60 years. And it's going to make them look even worse uh, when the SEC uh, finally gets started. So uh, I don't know. I, you know, Trump calling, I thought, probably had an impact. And then I'm not going to get political because I don't need my Twitter feed full uh, before <laughs> you hate me. But I don't think Bob Woodward in his new book did Donald Trump any favors. <laughs> but, you know, saying he downplayed this whole thing. Um, so then if you're one of the presidents, I don't want to take this too far as a conspiracy theory, but with that the, the book and some of the quotes and the audio that came out from, from Trump, then, then you look and say, does he have your best interest at heart or does he just want those swing states? So I thought that had a lot of power last week, but I don't know that it still does. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do. Something tells me money will ultimately, um, it, it will win the game. Um, and they will play because I, there's a lot of money at stake, as as you know. Uh, the Pac-12, not as much money. Uh, they can sit it out, and, you know, they're half broke anyway. But they're just, I mean, we're talking hundreds. And there, there's no swing states out, out in California. <laughs> <laughs> ain't swinging. That ain't yeah. swinging anyway. We know where that is. So, yeah. no. But I tell you what, it's it's interesting because – we don't have as many games that have significant. I mean, I was even looking at the list this week, Dave. It's you no, know, not a lot of big matchups when you take some of this out. But you know, you got like the early window. It's like South Florida, Notre Dame, Tulsa, Oklahoma State, Syracuse, Pitt, Navy, Tulane, BC, Duke, Houston, Baylor. You got UCF, Georgia Tech. Uh, you've got Miami, Louisville. You got Wake Forest, NC State. Look, I I, I think that it's it's kind of a ease in a couple of weeks, but when the SEC kicks in, I think that this is going to make two things. It's going to make the SEC even bigger because the big games, as they always are, in the SEC are going to be magnified even more because now you're not going to even have that early, you know, Big Ten game if, again, the Big Ten doesn't get attacked together and play – I think it's going to be owned by the SEC, and I think the ACC, the Big 12, will help itself. And you know what? I think it brings center stage some of these group of five leagues because, you know, how many people would be watching some of these games that are group of five games, maybe at an 11 a.m. Central window, 12 noon Eastern? Well, you know, instead of the Big 10, you might be watching a, a Central Florida or you might be watching a – a Houston or Navy Tulane, you know, uh, why not? I mean, I, and I think it's just going to center, put center stage, the, the other conferences, but, uh, I tell you your, your thoughts on, um, you know, Florida state, I want to get into it a little bit. There's a lot of frustration there. Willie Taggart, bad two years and people thought got rid of him. Mike Norvell comes in and everything's fine. Well, it's not that easy. I think that problem that that program's got a lot of issues, and uh, to use a term uh, 
be so graphic. There's there's some turds in the punch bowl that they got to get out. And uh, I think they've got to clean out that program. And um, I don't think they're as talented, particularly on offense. And I think we saw what I watched on tape, watch the game, and I'll watch it on tape, finish it this morning, Georgia Tech, Florida State, and we'll have the complete film grade up on LandryFootball.com. What I saw is a Georgia Tech program that's in its second year under a coach that's got their program ingrained where in Florida State may be more talent than Georgia Tech, but they're not – they're still a bit more me and a still a bit more, you know, trying to play to get in the league type thing. I think that's affect Florida State, and I think Mike Norvell will do a good job there, but I I think it's going to be a little bit bigger bigger load to kind of straighten out than um, than maybe even the Florida State fans might have expected. It's been a while now. It's been the last year, Jimbo, when he kind of bailed out on him, you know, and stopped recruiting, and he was half you know he was halfway to to college station at last season there, and then the two years at Willie Taggart, they've got a lot to clean up over. They got a lot of mess. They need a lot of dust pans and mops and stuff to clean out. I think Mike will do a good job. So I, I want to talk the Florida state fans off the ledge a little bit, but it's going to be some growing pains and particularly without an off season with only five or six spring practices and then training. Camp, I, I think that's uh, the ways to go. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of that. I did, I, and I do like Mike Norvell as a long-term solution, but I don't, you know, in, in some ways, and people know that I cover Tennessee, it reminds me now, I know Philip Fulmer was fired and Jimbo Fisher left, but it reminds me that there's this, there seems to be a disconnect between the administration and the head football coach, and I don't know that uh, Norvell or anybody else can overcome that if they don't address some of those issues. Um, Tennessee, I believe, has done that. Uh, Dave Hart did part of that, and now Philip Fulmer, at athletic director, I think has has helped with that, even though it may be a little bit self-serving. But ultimately, you're right. I mean, this is an administration-wide issue. This is not just the X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. It's a lot more than that. I, I did find, and I don't want to you know, spend uh, the entire podcast for the entire season on, on COVID and its effect, because we all know it, so I, I'm kind of like the – happy-go-lucky guy that we at least have football. But I did see a story where the NFL is going to try to further enforce wearing the mask because I don't I don't know about you, but or if you've tried to wear the mask, but it's incredibly uncomfortable, especially in the South. You live in Louisiana. I live in Tennessee. I think I'm going to have a heat stroke getting gas at some point. And it, I just – I hate it. I understand it, and I do it because it's the right thing to do. But uh, how are they going to make these coaches actually wear it? Because I saw some that they had it down the entire game, not a couple of plays here and there, but the entire game. I just ultimately you're going to have to suspend or find somebody to actually make them wear that. I think there are a couple of things. Um uh, we're, we're we're doing a broadcast here, and 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 this is broadcast quality, and we can hear each other really well. For those who haven't been on those headsets, um, it it it's gotten better, but it can be a little gargled. You put a mask over you, and you start giving out personnel groupings and information. What you what you, you it is not real clear. 
And so what happens is, you know, I think these guys are like, you know, a maybe to get some a hair, but maybe to try to communicate a little bit better, put it down, forget to put it up. It's going to be an issue. Um, there was some talk about maybe those shields would work better. Um, I know Andy Reid, everyone was laughing on Andy Reid on Thursday night because he had the shield <laughs> and it was fogging up. I don't know if that works. Um, it's difficult. Look, I mean, they're going to have to work through it. You're right. I mean, mask going to be an important part of it. You're going to have to be able to communicate. You're going to have to be able to keep that. But it is it is a it is an issue. Um, it's tough. They also, you know, advise to, you know, and this is this is a natural part of what you do. Don't be doing the you know fist bump and the tapping on the heads and hitting on the body. You don't don't be touching. It's kind of normal thing you do in football and coaching with players and stuff. But you in the COVID area, you're not good. So I know that uh, Troy Vincent, the head of um, executive vice president in the league office is sending memos out. I got, I didn't get a chance to read it. It just came out before you and I taped the podcast, but I was looking at it uh, and it was addressing just that doing a better job. And I think that's all you can do. Um, Dave, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it's going to be perfect. And I, I saw different coaches handle it differently. And as they cut to the sideline, some of them had the cover. And like you said, some of them had it down. Some of them have it below the nose, but I think the nose is you kind of that, that doesn't do any good. So you gotta, you know. But I mean, I just think that it's difficult, and they're trying to do the job, and you know, maybe with it up. I look, I don't have the answers. I, I, I really don't. I, I, um, I have a thought. I, I have, I have a theory on this. Okay. Especially if you're a, a, an offensive play caller. And how many head coaches are offensive play callers? Um, five, six, you think, in the NFL that actually still call the plays? Yeah, you got you got a couple of more than, than a half dozen, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I, I'm going the Joe Paterno route. I'm going up into the press box. A, I've always thought you could see better. B, you're able to to call plays that way, and you don't have to wear the mask, I wouldn't think, if you're in a secluded area. Um, I would seriously consider that. And there's always been something, and you could speak to this better than I can, where coaches never, ever want to be in the press box if you're the head coach. But if I'm either the, the head offensive coach or defensive coach um, and I'm, I'm calling plays, I'm considering it for sure. Would you? Um, depends, though. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a communication issue with your quarterback and with your team and making decisions on the sideline sure. as a head coach. Now, most coordinators that are play callers are up in the booth, offensive right. coordinators, not defensive guys. There is great value in just play calling to be up there, but the communication aspect with players coming off the field and being able to relate to them is tough to do. And so a lot of them want to be there for that. Um, look, I, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's a, I think some will consider it. I don't know about head coaches, but I think even if you're an, an normally a on the field play caller, I think you probably ought to go upstairs, but it still doesn't change the fact that you've got other coaches 
that are position coaches that are not play callers, but they're still communicating with the other staff about personnel groupings and things. And if they're modeling, you're my mom, Dave, when you're like, what, you know, and then so somebody's got to be on the sidelines, communicate with the players and communicating through the headset to the guy upstairs. So you still, it may be you can eliminate the play caller from having maybe being upstairs, but the other one still need to be there communicating with players and still communicating on the headset. So I don't think it's an easy fix, but it's one in which, look, got to adjust to it. And uh, I, th- I think we will. Um, you mentioned something, and for folks who don't know, Dave, among his many skills throughout his career, was a um, covered Tennessee beat like a blanket. Um, what's your thoughts? Uh, and we want to get into the rest of the college and NFL weekend. Well, we're you know, a little ways away when that we, we're. We'll talk some SEC coming up a little bit more as we get into their schedule. But your thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt, this vile team, what are your expectations? Last year, obviously a very rough start. Very rough start. Um, I do think it is a tremendous sign when a coach can take a team that is really off kilter, off tracks, and get them back on track. And he did that. And he did that in a very impressive way. The expectation now is, well, he's going to pick off where he left off. You know, where they finished the season, that's how they're going to start this year. It's not always the case. Your thoughts on Jeremy and where he is, you know, as a coach with this program and where you think this Tennessee team fits into the grand scheme of the East and the overall SEC this year? Well, you've, you've said before that, and I, I agree with this, because uh, of in-state recruiting talent, you're going to have to have Georgia come back to the pack a little bit. You're going to have to have Nick Saban hang it up at some point and come back to the pack because you played them every single year. So, you know, they, they put Texas A&M on, uh, on the schedule as well. And I think the SEC, side note, I think they did their best to protect their teams that had the best chance to win a championship. But to answer your question, I would put the over-under on wins at seven and a half. Um, I, I, I do think that Jeremy Pruitt would do uh, one thing a little bit better. I, I think that's, uh, unlike Butch Jones, he'd be able to utilize Alvin Kamara. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because watching him last night, I want to get your thoughts, transition into this. Who are some of the most underutilized players in college that went on to incredible careers? Now, sometimes we just mature late. Uh, football players will do that. But I don't think that was the case with, with Kamara. I thought he was that good at Tennessee. And um, I'm just curious, what are some of those guys that, as you look back, kind of putting you on the spot, but as you look back, you're like, what was that coach doing in college? Because he's a superstar in the NFL. <laughs> I could throw J.J. Watt in there that Butch Jones tried to put an offensive tackle, but I'll, I'll let you go. Well, the first guy that comes to mind is the guy that was in the same game, uh, and it's Tom Brady. It's, it's oh, my yeah. folks that Drew Henson, he couldn't beat out Drew Henson. And uh, Lord Carr is a good friend of mine, and 
look, I, you know, people will say, oh, this is now I, I think this is a little different. And people will, oh, how could, that, how could you? If you study Tom Brady at Michigan and I was at Michigan's practices and seeing Tom Brady throw a ball at Michigan's practices, and as I'm, it's a podcast, it's like, I mean, we're talking about a spaghetti arm. The ball didn't go anywhere. And he was a late bloomer. What, what, what made Tom Brady great is that, that, that area between the, 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 you know, the, the breastbone and, and, the, and the back is that's, that's that heart was it. He made himself a great player. He got himself physically stronger and he did play pretty well at Michigan when he got a chance, managed things, but he was, well, quite frankly, it wasn't like he was a great talent that was out playing everybody and they just sat him for the heck of it. He wasn't at Michigan. He became a late bloomer. And there are a lot of guys like you mentioned J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was a walk-on. I mean, you know, he, he, he was a late bloomer. A lot of guys like that. I mean, Nebraska for years had all their offensive linemen be late bloomers. The Dave Remington guys that were just – but Kamara was a little different. Kamara was, if you remember, went to Alabama, then went to Tennessee – Mm-hmm. Uh, was a little bit of a head case that they had. He had to kind of mature a little bit, but I think that was certainly not being utilized quite as much. They had some other options there, but I think that every every one of those situations, I look at and say, you know, when I see a coach that I respect and they you know, a player is not utilized. I'm thinking there's, there's gotta be a reason, you know, but sometimes we see guys who, why is this guy not starting? Why, why is this guy not playing? Um, well, you know, sometimes I can remember in the old John Robinson, the end of the John McKay days at USC, there were a lot of guys back when unlimited scholarships, there are a lot of guys, third team guys that became all pros. You know, Rod Martin. I couldn't get on the field at USC. He's a pro bowler at in in, in the in the NFL and was was a Super Bowl MVP. Um, but in these days, you do see some late bloomers, but sometimes it's maturity level of the player, the lack of development, coaching changes. Um, personality conflicts or just bad coaching evaluation. I mean, some of that stuff just, just happens. Um, and you know, um, you know, Camaro certainly won that Butch Jones won't live down. And, and again, Butch is, is a, uh, is a target, isn't he? Cause you know, it didn't work out well. And he, he, you know, the five-star hearts and uh, brick by brick and all those things that make Tennessee fans cringe with the record, they'll, they'll just pile on and say anything negative. Well, there goes Butch Jones. But the reality is uh, got a lot of guys that kind of, you can say, you know, and I've, I've talked with Nick about it. What the heck happened with Elvin Kamara leaving Alabama? We, we, you know, I mean, let's, let's say that he, it was more of a Butch Jones issue because he had him at Tennessee should have played him, but Alabama had a lot of guys and Alvin just wasn't doing things like he was supposed to do. So he was 88, not gate and he was gone. But you could say, if you wanted to 
poke fun. You wouldn't say, hey, wouldn't it happen there with Kamara? Because he certainly developed into a great player. So, no, that's interesting. Uh, there are a lot of guys that kind of fall into that category. Yeah, and uh, I, I tip my cap to Alvin Kamara because at Tennessee, and I've I covered a lot of junior call, uh, JUCO kids. That used to be my beat at one point. And I, I typically uh, 50% of them or even more don't pan out. Uh, about 40% will end up panning out at their second stop. And then there's about 10% that are like Camara and realize that, man, that junior college place was terrible. I'm going to take advantage of what I got. And I don't care if I don't play as much because he, after every practice, when he touched the ball four times on a Saturday, he'd come out smiling. It was one of the most amazing things on a bad football team. He's getting overlooked. Uh, I credit that kid. And I was happy that he got paid the way he did. Because I, I cannot think, honestly, in 20 years of a kid that's come out of junior college that's had any better of attitude, especially considering he wasn't playing, Chris. Were you covering the Tennessee beat back when uh, they recruited um, Dale Carter? No, well, that's a little bit. I'm not that old, Chris. Oh, oh, thanks a bunch. I mean, I was – I was in school with Dale Carter. Does that count? Okay. Well, I I recruited Dale Carter out of Ellsworth Junior College. And remember Bernard Daphne and Chris Mims? Oh, yeah. They they, they were all in that same class. They they got got it going in the junior college ranks that year. But speaking to the guy, that was uh, an attitude problem. But anyway, real quick, I don't – you know, junior college in Tennessee. So quick little story. So I go to Ellsworth, Iowa to watch Dale Carter. I'm, I'm at LSU at the time recruiting and um, on the staff there and uh, never seen this before. He returned in one game, five punts for a touchdown. Oh my gosh. Dale Carter. Um, but, but the best story of all was when Dale Carter comes out of Tennessee and I'm on Belichick staff in Cleveland. And Saban and I are kind of making the rounds looking at defensive backs. And we're at Tennessee. And and Dale Carter's catching punts. And uh, how can I say this? So as he's catching punts, Johnny Majors shouts out something to Dale. Hey, Dale, you know, gather yourself and – and Dale Carter says, bleep you, Johnny. <laughs> Loud enough funny. for everybody to. Well, Nick Saban, I've seen enough. So he leaves. He leaves the workout. Of course, I don't know where he thought he was going. I had the keys to the car in my pocket. So, last so he leaves. Well, Knowing my role as a scout, Dave, I, I mean, I was just turned off by that as anything else. However, I got to evaluate everybody there in the workout. And I'm, you know, so I've got to, you know, so we go in to the, to the scouting meeting and, um, 
we were back in, <laughs> and we talk about the workout and Belichick looks over to Saban and he says, well, how did he do in the workout? And Saban said, went into the story about what he said. And he, he said, I, I left. And Belichick said, looks at him. He says, you mean to tell me you bleeping left the bleeping workout? And, 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 and Saban, Saban kind of looks over at me with, looks at me. He says, he mumbled, Chris stayed. And then I felt so bad because then Belichick said, oh, well, thank you. Thanks because you did the job. Of bo- oh, mm-hmm. he was just lit in. And that, you know, that was, it was like, you know, because I was a young guy and I was like, oh, please. You know, I was like, I'm glad I stayed in anyway. But that's the story that how Dale Carter got Nick Saban in trouble and he didn't even know it. That, But that made me think of that year in, in junior college. Do you think? Tennessee this year, you said about seven. If you look at their schedule real quick, South Carolina, got to beat South Carolina early, got to beat Missouri, obviously got to beat Arkansas, got to beat Vanderbilt. That's going to happen. Really comes down to obviously you got Florida. I'm not sure they're ready to beat them yet. Can they go on the road, beat Auburn? A&M, question mark. Alabama, no. You know, Georgia, no. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's, it's key is, you know, swing games are Kentucky, Auburn, AM. That's where you get to your you got you gotta sweep and win those other four to get to your seven. I think Jeremy's doing a good job, but you just mentioned it. The difficulty of kind of navigating through the conference where you've got to go through the East and you gotta play Florida and Georgia that are more talented than you are. And oh by the way. Your crossover game is Alabama. Well, I mean, you start it with a massive upset. Unless it's a COVID upset, Dave. That's a massive upset if they win any one of those games. And the others, I, I think you can do a good job and in, in, in still um, kind of fall short of maybe, you know, people say, oh, I think they win eight or nine. Ain't eight, eight, nine wins on that schedule for Tennessee. There's no way this year. I mean, it, unless something weird happens to bring other people to the pack, like you mentioned. I hadn't thought of a COVID upset. That's a new term. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it could happen. Georgia Southern played Campbell College Saturday. Georgia Southern had 33 guys out for the game. Let me repeat that. 3-3, three, three. Landry didn't stutter. Stutter. 33 players were out of the game at Georgia Southern against Campbell. That happens in an SEC game. That's the only way Vanderbilt wins a game this year. Ouch. That's probably true. Um, I'll, I want to get to a couple of other things. So let's do some quick hitters. Yes, sir. Uh, Tom Brady did not get the win, uh, but I thought that team responded to him when A, he he chewed some people out, and B, I thought for the pick six, he took he took the blame, and I think he probably went to the sideline and said, "My bad." And I really thought afterwards that that team responded to the type of leadership they probably haven't seen before. Yeah, I, listen, I think it's it's a work in progress. You just don't, hey boy, this guy's really he's the greatest of all time. You just plug him in and it works. No, it takes a while to assimilate, and as you mentioned. You've got to 
get on the same page. It's just an overused term. But the reality is, like, I look at two of the interceptions where it, it is, you know, it's on Brady, but it's a communication issue. That's what you've got to get worked out. It's not like he thought the guy was open. You know, you've got to, he's got to know, Mike Evans has got to know and, and think like Brady and vice versa. So that ball doesn't go where it is or that Mike Evans is really where the ball's supposed to be. That's on Brady to be able to figure that out. And the pick six, there's no question, was a case where, um, he mid read that and, and it's the communication between his talented weapons. That's gotta be, you know, adjusted. And, you know, they are playing a team that's pretty doggone good. That's, you know, deeper into their system. So I think it was an advantage for the saints there, uh, at home. So no, I listen, I think the bucks are going to be a factor. I think they're going to be better and better as the year goes along. I thought both the defenses played pretty well in that game, all things considered. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if the Bucs can get the running game going uh, and Brady can get things assimilated. I, I still think it's going to be a two-team race. Boy, what a what a bad luck the Falcons were uh, against Seattle yesterday. I don't know if um, the Patriots uh, win a Super Bowl with Cam Newton this year, next year, or the year after. I don't even know if they make the playoffs, but – if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm really enjoying this because he's proven himself, and now he can put together a whole new offense based off some totally different concepts that you would u- utilize with Tom Brady. And I think there was friction there, obviously, which you could probably speak to. But I just thought that was a, a lot of fun to watch, a guy that's shown who's – you know, you think of as a defensive coach who's shown the ability – uh, along with a strong offensive staff to be able to put together different type of offenses year in and year out, rely on a Randy Moss, rely on two tight ends. Um, and now he's he's working it with Cam Newton being essentially another running back at times. I just I thought that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it'll be uh, – I think Josh McDaniels is a really bright play caller. You know, Bill is really good at giving direction overall of how things – should look and should go. And the offense is going to look completely different. It's completely different from where Brady is throwing from the midline to where now you got a moving pocket. And now you got some zone read stuff that it keeps defenses off balance that things that the Patriots haven't done. And you're going to have to go back to see the things that Cam did when he was close to his prime in Carolina. And he's rejuvenated because he's on a team that's got a real good chance to win. We know they had some success. He had some success in Carolina, went to a Super Bowl, but the, the team had had regressed. So I think it's a good fit. Um, they tell me that Cam has been the hardest worker, a leader. I mean, they voted him. The players voted him a team captain. I mean, it, you know, so he's he might look like the ice cream man in, in some of those weird suits at the press conference and, you know, the, the weird hats. Hey. But he's uh, he uh, he's he's somebody that's adapted well to the locker room, and I think there is that bit of a challenge of that's a good team that should be able to run the football. I think the offensive line has some mobility. I think the defense is really good. The secondary might be the best in the whole league. Um, certainly one of the top two or three Buffaloes right there. So look, I mean, I think they're going to be a factor. I think they're going to be a factor in that race. People who are counting them out. Uh, do it at your own risk. 
Yeah, that's can he stay healthy? Uh, so Landry will join you each and every Monday talking some football. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Check out LandryFootball.com. See you in a week. Have a fantastic uh, week, Chris. And uh, football is here, so it's uh, good stuff. We'll uh, talk to you in one week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.